0: You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, say he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not even stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. I'm going to tell you this morning that reverence is more of Jesus and less of everything else. My title this morning is The Power of Reverence. Let us pray. Everybody bow your heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence that has filled this room this morning. We thank you for your glory that is already in this place today. Father, I just lay down performance, comparison, and the need to impress this morning. God, I thank you that nobody in this room came to hear me. But Lord, we all came to hear you. So we say together, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. This is the year of dunamis. Pastor Landon released a prophetic word over us at the beginning of 2023 that it was the year of dunamis. It was the year of power. I don't know about you, but when I heard that message and that prophetic word, I was excited. Let's go. Power. We're going to have some power. Hey, let's go. The power to strengthen and fortify. Yes, we're going to be strengthened and fortified. And then we started to dive in a little bit. We found out everything that can be shaken would be shaken. And sometimes when we need to be strengthened and fortified, we have to realize where we're weak and defenseless. And then the Lord began to reveal things, not out of judgment, but out of his mercy. Because he's creating an army. You don't create an army to sit around and do nothing. We don't create an army to sit around and sew and whittle. We create an army for the battle. An army is created for war. And it's the mercy of the Lord that has prepared his people for the battle. He has prepared us. He has strengthened and fortified us. He has revealed every weak and unprotected area in our lives. And so there's been a lot of shaking. There's been a lot of areas that I thought were strong and I found out weren't as strong as I expected. Am I the only one? There's been areas in my life that I thought I was really powerful. I was really strong. That area is great. And the Lord said, All right, <laughs> we'll see. And it started to be shaken. And then God has strengthened and fortified every area of our lives, but we have a few more weeks left in 2023. And so we're just asking the Lord to continue to reveal and strengthen and fortify us in dunamis power. And so we've been battling in the spirit down in Waco, Texas. We've been in the middle of a building program for, we purchased the building 20 months ago. You you heard me correctly. And we started the the construction process and we started building, and everything that could go wrong seems to have gone wrong. (laughs) Everything that you think might happen happens. All the stories that you hear about construction projects and this happening and that happened, all of those things have happened, basically. And what we've seen is the hand of the Lord strengthening and fortifying the Waco campus every step of the way. And so I've got a little update for you. We are almost there. Look at that. Come on, we're so close. We're almost there. And we've been praying and And leaning in and asking God to strengthen us in every area as we've gone through this construction process. And we found out the building that we bought has been owned by four or five other churches before us that have attempted to turn this property into the house of the Lord. And one thing after the other has happened. There's been financial impropriety. There have been moral failings. There's been just issue after issue that has prevented this building from being finished by any other church. It's a spiritual battle. And down in Waco, we joined with the men of this house in 40 days of prayer and fasting. And we walked around our building every morning as you guys were walking around this one, and we were praying and fasting. And there was a, 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 a day a few weeks ago that I went back in the, in the alley behind our building, and I knelt down, and I was praying, and I was repenting to the Lord for the lack of stewardship of this property. I was just telling the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. We repent before you. I know that you've longed for your house to be established here at 1020 East Waco Drive. And God, I just repent for any lack of stewardship, not only of us, but anybody that came before us. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, it's not stewardship that's the problem. It's not stewardship that's been lacking. The root is a lack of reverence. And in that moment, I had a vision. A vision is just a daydream in the spirit. And what I saw over our building, I saw a circus tent. It was the roof of a circus tent. I immediately heard in my spirit that circus music. Da, 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 da. And I saw in the sanctuary a three ring circus. People were dressed to the nines, they had on their finest clothes, their suits, their ties, their dresses. They were blowing fire, they were juggling. They were swinging from the rafters. They were doing all of the things you would see in a circus. And I heard the Lord say, there's been a lack of reverence in the house of the Lord. And he took me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27, and it says this. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful And please God by worshiping with holy fear or reverence and awe. For our God is an all-consuming fire. And immediately the Lord spoke to me and said, Ask me for awe and wonder to return to the house of the Lord. And I saw that as people walk into those ancient cathedrals in Europe and throughout That area, and when you walk into those soaring cathedrals, it takes your breath away. There's a sense of awe. And I felt the Lord say, ask me for that awe and wonder. Not a sense of awe because of the beautiful soaring architecture, but because of the undeniable presence and glory of God that is in the building. That we can no longer play around with the house of the Lord. That we can no longer flippantly walk into the house of God, but that there would be a sense of awe and wonder and reverence. But you can't talk about reverence without discussing honor. They're not the same thing, but they are inextricably linked. And Pastor Landon preached a beautiful message some time ago called Governed by Honor. And they're going to put the graphic up on the screen. I encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet or if you haven't seen it in a while... Go to Mercy Culture's YouTube page and search Governed by Honor. Watch it this week. I believe in my spirit. I feel the urgency. This is important. What I heard in my spirit is the Spirit of the Lord just yelling 911. Reverence must come back to the house of God. So I'm going to recap a little bit of Pastor Landon's message here in a moment. Just I'm going to touch on a few things setting up reverence, but I encourage you to go and watch it. So what is the difference between honor and reverence? Honor and reverence are inextricably linked. You know, when you fear or revere the Lord, you will honor his people. In a biblical sense, reverence is a profound, adoring and awed respect. It indicates to tremble before, arising from our awareness of our weaknesses. It is reserved for God alone. Honor is great respect of an individual or institution, and we define it this way. Honor is one of our values, and we say this. We are governed by honor. Honor reflects heaven's value. Honor protects freedom, creates safe places, and reflects a kingdom identity. Honor is about self-control, not control. The word honor in the Greek is the word timeo, and it means to properly assign value, as it reflects the personal esteem attached to it by the beholder. You see, true biblical honor is not a value that we earn, but it is the value that Jesus paid for. Honor is a culture of heaven. It reflects heaven's value, not our own. So who are we called to honor? Well, we're called to honor God. We're first first called to honor God with our money. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Leviticus 2730 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If you bristle at a discussion about money or if you have a difficult time giving of your tithe or being generous to the house of the Lord, you don't have a money problem. You have an honor problem. We have a value problem. We honor God with our body. Sex outside of biblical marriage is a sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You were assigned value of heaven. So glorify God with your body. I will never forget, it was one of the great moments in church of my life, the first time Pastor Landon preached this message. And I think it was third service. We had a period of time where we showed a video message in third service. And I was sitting on the front row, and Pastor Landon said, Sex outside of biblical marriage is a sin. And I heard somebody about three rows behind me just yell, oh, man. (laughs) Except she didn't say man. And I could hear the thoughts in her head. I knew I should have stayed home from church this morning. She was so mad she showed up that morning. But I tell you what, she wasn't as mad as her boyfriend when she got home. (laughs) But it's the truth. We've got to honor God. If you can't honor God with your body, you don't have a sex problem. You have an honor problem. You have a value issue. You don't have a revelation of the value that you've been given by heaven. We've got to honor God with our worship. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 said, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for more honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. How many want to be a vessel for honorable use? Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You see, we've got a lot of people in the body of Christ that are crying out to the Lord to be used by God. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. And there's nothing wrong with wanting the Lord to use you, but we use toilet paper, and we use garbage cans, and sometimes we are a dishonorable vessel that is being used by the Lord, and we think that that indicates our, our honor. We think that because we're being used by the Lord, somehow that means that there's righteousness on our lives, and that's not necessarily the case. We've got to ask the Lord, Lord, would you make me an honorable vessel? And we've got to honor people. We honor God through our marriage. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Some of you have been praying for some things. You've been crying out to God. You've been blaming the Lord because you don't have an answer, and it's because you don't honor your wife. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Wives, don't cut your eyes over at your husband. I almost felt the wind of the... Just, <laughs> do not be harsh with them. I was preparing to preach this message a few weeks ago, and the Lord tested me on this scripture. The Lord tested me. We were wrapping up 40 days of prayer. I put out the call, everybody show up to the church. I I preached a message, I told the men, don't be weak, don't be lazy, man up, stand up, lead, spiritually lead, show up and pray. I get up, I get my kids dressed. My wife had left super early, a member in our church gave birth and she went to be with them early in the middle of the night, early, early morning. So I get up, I get the kids dressed, I had my daily encounter, I walk over to the wall, I reach for my car keys. They're not there. Immediately I knew, this woman has them keys in her purse. And I called her. I said, she said, good morning. I said, babe, where the keys at? She said, oh, I hope they're not in my purse. I knew it. She digs through a purse. Oh, they're in my purse. I just went. I just hung up the phone. See, the Lord tested me, my wife said, and you failed. I called her. I said, baby, it's really not that hard. There's a hook on the wall. When you get home, hang the keys on the hook. the keys on the hook I said now I look like a schmuck I told the whole church to man up and I'm not gonna be there because my wife has my keys in her purse I think this is an analogy somewhere so Some spiritual significance I failed the test don't be harsh with your wives, even when they forget to hang the keys on the hook. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. Ask to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. But men, give your wives something to submit to. Nikki and I got married at the age of 21. We just celebrated 20 years of marriage on November 14th. The woman is a saint. I was a punk with a capital P. I don't need, who said yes, he was? I don't need nothing for Pastor Heather. I was a punk. I really was. And about, about six months into marriage, I wrote her not a note, but a letter. I don't remember the letter, she remembers every word. She probably has it behind glass somewhere, break in case of emergency. I wrote her a letter, how to submit to me. You need to submit to me. You're not submitted enough. Should I tell some Pastor Steve stories? No, I'm just kidding. I don't have time. I don't have time. Just submit, you need to submit to me. You're not submitted enough. You're not submitted enough. Well, my wife was no punk. She said, Give me something to submit to, weak little boy. You're not seeking the Lord. You're not spiritually leading our house. You're not having daily encounters. She fixed me up real quick. We've got to be strengthened and fortified. We can't, we have to give our wives something that they can submit to. Listen, if honor is difficult for you, if you have a hard time honoring a particular person, ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you can honor your wife. Ask the Holy Spirit how, you can, how he can show you how to honor your husband. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to honor that subcontractor at your church. Uh, church and spiritual leaders, we've got to honor them. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. We have to honor all people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You see, dishonoring any person never, say never, never honors the Lord. When I was a young man, again, a punk, And uh, there was this guy in our church that had really hurt. My father was a pastor, and he had hurt us, and he'd hurt the church. I don't know. It was something ridiculous. And I ran into him. He was on staff at another church after that, and I was there for some event. And I ran into the hallway, and he sticks out his hand. He goes, brother, it's good to see you. And I had a moment right then to decide, am I going to lean into honor or not? I didn't. (laughs) I looked at his hand and go, you got to be kidding And just walked off. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Then I got home and I told my dad, and I was all proud. I was like, you're not going to, dad, guess who I ran into? He tried to shake my hand. I just laughed at him and walked off. He goes, get your tail in the car. Go back to that church. First thing Monday morning when their office opens, you go into his office. You humble yourself. You repent to that man for dishonoring him. Yeah. I wasn't happy. I gritted my teeth, I gripped that steering wheel so hard I thought I was going to rip it right out of, the, out of the car. I drove there, I honored him, I repented before him, and I want to tell you, I have never regretted honor. No matter how much anybody has ever dishonored me, I have never regretted showing honor, because dishonor to people never honors the Lord And we have to recognize that when you're facing an opportunity to partner with honor or to dishonor, it's a spiritual battle. I said it's a spiritual battle. This isn't just a decision about whether to shake somebody's hand. It's a spiritual battle that you're facing because dishonor is demonic. Every time you dishonor, you partner with the enemy. Because if honor is heaven's value, then dishonor must be the value of hell. And when we dishonor people, it opens the door to irreverence of the Lord. Devaluing God's children, his word, and his house will always lead to devaluing him. And reverence is simply the fear of the Lord. In the Bible, reverence is defined as a profound, awe-inspiring respect. It is the instinctive response of everyone who encounters the Lord God Almighty. In the Greek, it is eulabia. It means caution, reverence, fear of God. It is reverent godly fear, taking hold of what God calls good. It is a holy caution. It induces circumspect behavior. It is godly respect. Hebrew teachers teach that The word reverence is illustrated by a person carrying a priceless Persian vase across the room. It will always be held in a devout, respectful fashion. And we see the first thing that we see the enemy do in the Bible is to devalue the word of God or to bring a lack of reverence to the Lord. We see it in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. We all know the story. God has spoken to Adam and Eve. He's told them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes as a serpent, and he tells Eve, did God actually say? What did he do? He came against the value of the word of God. He devalued God's words, and he dishonored the Lord. In the garden, Satan began a war against reverence, and that war is still raging today. It is a devaluing of the very nature of of God. See, God created order from chaos, and ever since that moment, Satan has been trying to create chaos from order. We see it in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The Bible says that the world was without form and void. There was nothingness. It was just nothing but chaos. It was without form And void, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep, and He began to create order in the midst of that chaos. He set up the nature of Himself. God is a God of distinctions and order. He separated light from darkness, day from night separated the waters of the earth from the waters of the atmosphere, the seas from land, plant from animal, animal from human, man from woman, and the holy from the profane. And today there is a spiritual battle against the distinctions of God. There is an epidemic of irreverence. You see, the chaos that we're seeing in society isn't just happening to us. It is a spiritual battle. And every day we choose whether we're going to partner with that chaos or whether we're going to battle against it. You see, where there is no reverence of the Lord, foolishness abounds. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is why the most godless places in the world produce the most rampant foolishness. It's why the federal government has removed the word mother from all official documents and replaced it with birthing people because they believe that men can give birth. It's why the American Medical Association's official recommendation to the pediatricians of our country is that they no longer put the gender of a child on their birth certificate because we don't know their gender until they tell us what it is. It's the reason why godless colleges and universities have put forth the idea of transgender children and microaggressions and resegregation of the races with black dormitories and graduations for people of color, and we call that progressive. It's the reason why godless modern art and music, what was once a medium to exalt God and the human spirit that produced Mozart and Bach, has devolved to atonal nonsense. We now honor scatological art that uses bodily fluids and excrement. It is why we see people are pro-abortion and anti-capital punishment. They take to the streets by the thousands, chanting to kill the innocent and protect the evil. It is why society comes against the good and stands up for the bad. We see this with the Israel and Palestine conflict right now. We see thousands of protesters taking to the streets all over the world, crying out in support of Hamas when it seems so obvious where the good and evil lies. Why? Because this is a spiritual battle. Why is it that you can know someone's stance on one of these seemingly disconnected connected issues and then you know where they stand on all of the rest of them what does diversity equity and inclusion have to do with abortion what do drag queen story hours for children have to do with PETA's assertion that animals and humans have the same value it's because it's spiritual it is the destruction of truth through the spirit of irreverence of God Disorder is the manifestation of irreverence. We have disorder in our homes now. Disorder between husbands and wives and wives to husband. Out of order relationships between children and their parents and parents to children. We've got disorder running rampant in what we watch on our TV, what we listen to, how we fight and disagree with one another. Disorder in the way we keep our homes and our schedule what is disorder? It is just a manifestation of irreverence. What manifestation of a reverence are we allowing in our own homes? We have a lack of reverence in the capital C church. We have people that cannot submit to anyone. I want to give you a warning this morning. If you can't submit to any spiritual leader in your life, if you say foolish things like, I just submit my heart to Jesus and nobody else, you have a reverence problem. We change scripture to conform to our desires instead of changing ourselves to conform to scripture. We say foolish things like, let me just shop for a church that best fits me. Instead of asking the Holy Spirit, where have you called me to die? What church have you chosen for me to be discipled into death to my flesh? The church has mixed the holy and the profane. One of the most famous pastors in America right now put on his own social media page a video of him cursing while talking about the Lord. He cursed repeatedly. He got some pushback from that, so he made a second video where he said God told him to use curse words to win the lost. It is out of order, and it is irreverent. The irreverence that we see in the house of God is nothing new. Ezekiel 22 verse 26 says this, Her priests it's talking about the priests of Jezebel have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. When our pastors stand up in this pulpit and teach America the difference between the unclean and the clean, they are accused of being too political. Because we have driven the reverence of God out of our lives and out of the church, they have disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them in verse 28, and her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining false lives lies for them, for who? for the people, saying, "Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken." Our churches... Our personal lives, our relationship with the Lord in so many cases have devolved into lights, camera, action, a performance, an entertainment instead of holy reverence of awe and wonder before the Lord. Psalms 2.11 says this. Worship the Lord and serve him with reverence, with awe-inspired fear and submissive wonder. Rejoice, it says. Yet do so with trembling. We can never forget who we serve. We devalue the presence of God. When we don't have daily encounters, so many Christians just come and check the box of church. I did it for years. I'm not standing up here in judgment. I'm standing up here with a revelation Of how an understanding of the reverence of God will change everything in your life. I was that Christian. Raised in church. Knew the word of God. Loved the house of the Lord. Would come to church to check the box but leave his presence out of our daily lives. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are fine in the house of God but I don't want them in my home. That's just too weird. It's just weird to pray in tongues in my living room. And it's weird when my wife has a headache to lay hands on her and believe for her to be healed. And it's weird to turn off that show because they went somewhere that I know is unholy. And we've rejected those things because we've lost the understanding of reverence for the Lord. We've devalued those that came before us. There's a pervasive idea throughout academia and higher education that everyone that came before us are nothing but racist, misogynistic, patriotic, white supremacists. And we cannot gain any wisdom from those that came before us. And we've lost the reverence for our spiritual heritage as believers. I want to give you some practical advice. Read about church history. There's a book recommendation Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley and Marshall Shelley. If you want to learn about reverence, if you want to reverence God, learn what those that came before you had to endure. You know, Jesus told us that joy and suffering are in the same cup, but we want to separate the two. We only want the joy of the Lord, but we reject the reverence of God. We reject suffering with Jesus. We've devalued the prophetic. So many preachers are throwing around, God told me this, and God told me that, to tickle the ears of people. I want to tell you this morning, we better revere the voice of the Lord. The Bible says, do not carry the name of the Lord in vain. That doesn't simply mean that when you go to the baseball game and they hit the ball out of the park, you can't say, oh God, what a great hit. I'm not telling you to flippantly throw around that that phraseology, but the Hebrew means not to attribute to the Lord things that he never did or said, not to do evil in the name of the Lord. We must revere his name. Are you reverencing the past prophetic words over this house and over your family? In 2020, the word of the Lord was the year of miracles. Do we still believe it? In 2021, it was supernatural that God would give us a spirit beyond our ability. Do we still believe it? In 2023, it was that we would expand territory. Do we still believe it? And in 2023, it is dunamis, the power to strengthen and fortify. Do we believe it? Are we reverencing the words? I want to give you some advice this morning. Determine in your heart right now that you will reverence the word of the Lord for 2023. And begin, before you even hear that word, to ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to revere this word that will be released? You see, when we lack reverence for Jesus, we limit his ability to move in our lives. In Mark chapter 6, we know this story. This is the story of Jesus going back to his hometown in Nazareth. And the Bible says that he goes back and he begins to preach and he shares wisdom. And the people are amazed and they start asking each other, Is this Mary and Joseph's boy? I know this kid. He used to play in my front yard, he used to run around this neighborhood. I know his mom and dad. I, there's such a familiarity with, with this boy. Who does he think he is? And the Bible says that they took offense at him. Jesus says in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own people. And then verse 5 says this, and he could not, and he could do no mighty work there. As I read this scripture, in my mind, verse 5 always ended right there with a period. That's the way I remembered that verse because of the lack of honor and reverence for Jesus that he could do no mighty works in that city, but it, it doesn't in there. It says, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And when I read that this week, I saw moments in my life where I've been in services and the Lord showed up and a few sick people got healed and I rejoiced before the Lord. And the house was rejoicing and then I heard the Lord say, what was my perspective? How many services have we been in where a few sick people got healed and we're rejoicing and Jesus is standing back saying, I could do no mighty works there. What mighty works in our lives in our families, in our churches, in our homes have we left on the table because we haven't honored the Lord? Worship team, if you would come up. Mercy culture is a church that reverences God. This is not a message to stand up here and beat up mercy culture. I felt the presence of God in such a tangible way during worship this morning. The glory of fell in this house and we revere the presence of the Lord, but there's a new revelation that he wants to birth within us. There's a revival of reverence that he wants to bring back, a revival of reverence that he wants to spark within our homes, in our lives, in our families, in our churches, We don't compartmentalize our relationship with the Lord. We don't say His presence is great at church and maybe it's good with just my family, but I don't want to bring that stuff into Thanksgiving. I've got extended family there at Christmas. I don't want to to be too, too holy, too weird at work, so I'll kind of carve this place out. In Hebrews chapter 5, we see Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God walking the earth. It says that He offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And then it says this, and He was heard Why? Because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. When we reverence the Lord, he leads us to righteousness. We see it in Job. very first chapter says Job was a man that was blameless and upright, one who reverenced feared God and turned away from evil. We see it at the first scripture that I read in 2 Chronicles. Reverence ushers in the glory of God. I saw this in my home growing up. My sweet granny and papa, she'll be here second service. My, my grandfather went to be with Jesus last year. They're two of the most impactful people in my, lives, my life, and they served the Lord all of their lives. When they were young people, they got saved, they turned, they began to serve the Lord. They're like the old school daily encounters. Nikki and I would drop the kids off at school. We lived by them and we'd go by their house and we'd just sit at their feet in the presence of the Lord. They'd read the Bible. And I watched my grandfather grow older. He was always, he was a small man, but he was a giant in my eyes. He'd always say, I'm five, eight and three quarters. You want to get that three quarters in there. But I watched as he grew older, he grew weaker. His eyesight started to fail. He quit driving his Harley. He drove a Harley across the country until he was in his mid-70s. He was an advanced scuba diver, had to give that up. He had a hard time reading his word. He would just weep because he wanted to read the Bible. But the older that he got the less everything else meant and the more he revered Jesus. And he would just sit in his chair and he would just say, sweet Jesus. Sweet Jesus. He'd say, "It's an old Texan, he'd say, oh my darling Jesus. And the presence of the Lord would sweep into the room. The more he learned to revere Jesus, the closer he grew to his presence. The closer he grew to the presence of Jesus, the more he learned to revere him. Have we lost the awe and wonder of the name of Jesus? Have we in the church lost the awe and wonder of just saying his name, just sweet Jesus? Do we have to be entertained? Do we have to have a performance? Do we have to have the lights, the camera, the action? There is a revival of simplicity sweeping across the nation. There is a revival of the reverence of Jesus. Just Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus.